Welcome to Here Comes Yesterday, a weekly 15-minute podcast full of useful memories for dealing with the world ahead with your host, Frank Corrado. Podcast 35, in calling Dr. Crane. If you can't make pancakes, how do you expect to get a husband? I mockingly yelled to the quartet of 20-something cuties to whom I was pitching a bottle of blueberry maple syrup at the farmer's market a few Saturdays back. After their roar of embarrassed laughter, I continued to respond to one of the young women who had started this all off by claiming she didn't need syrup because she didn't know how to make pancakes. Guys are simple, I responded. They love a good meal. It works. Think about it. After a night of vigorous frolicking, homemade pancakes might seem a lot better strategy for keeping things going than having to run out the next morning to the 7-Eleven for donuts, right? Shortly afterwards, two of that group decided to purchase my somewhat pricey jar of syrup. And when I returned home after that day's market, I coincidentally saw on my nightstand a small book of my late mother's that I had recently been rereading. It was a compilation of radio broadcasts by a now forgotten voice from a bygone era. Dr. George W. Crane, a Chicago-based psychologist from Northwestern University who had achieved fame back then for his syndicated practical advice radio broadcasts and newspaper columns, which had focused on helping young couples, especially women, with marriage concerns. The columns and broadcasts reportedly were followed by tens of millions of Americans. Frankly, It's a shame almost nobody remembers this man today. When I went to YouTube to see if I could find one of his old broadcasts, I kept seeing links to Dr. Fraser Crane, a.k.a. Kelsey Grammer's character in the popular TV show about the, well, a psychologist who has a radio show and gives advice and whose last name is Crane. Eerie similarities, as Jay Leno would say. It would be interesting to talk to the guy who came up with this show on where he got the idea for for Fraser, Maybe he's walking a picket line in Hollywood at the moment. Who knows? Anyway, in that small paperback book I have from my mom, titled Dr. Crane's Radio Talks, Volume 1, there's an interesting collection of articles that places Dr. Crane, a staunch conservative who wrote speeches for Calvin Coolidge in the 20s, somewhere between Dale Carnegie and Dr. Ruth, you remember her? Crane, who fathered two U.S. congressmen from Chicago area, died at age 94 in 1995, same year my father died. He was in many ways ahead of his time in trying to help young people navigate the ever-changing world of relationships. My own feeling is Dr. Crane probably checked out at a good time as I think about where we are today in this confusing non-binary world. One very innovative outcome of Dr. Crane's interactions with young people of his time was his development of a precursor to eHarmony, that sophisticated dating website that matches people via long questionnaires. Crane used an IBM card sorting program that matched over 5,000 couples successfully based on a questionnaire back in the 50s. Before that, Dr. Crane developed an instrument that measured marital relations called Test for Husbands and Wives. 
Now, I'm not going to go through all the questions from the test, but I wanted to offer a few. You'll notice that the assumption behind these questions is that men went off to work and women managed the home. And Crane put a lot of responsibility on women to manage not only the house, but the relationship as well. An interesting aspect of Dr. Crane's work was his emphasis on the importance of sexual compatibility between couples. And you can see it in some of the questions. Here are some of the things that are marked as negative for a wife. She gets the merits for this. Number one, slow in coming to bed. Delays till husband is almost asleep. Fails to sew on buttons or darn socks regularly. Is a backseat driver. Flirts with other men in restaurants or at parties. Wears pajamas while cooking. Is more than 15 pounds overweight. That would currently rule out about a third of the population, by the way. Often whining or complaining. Visits mother too often, a spoiled child. Talks too long on the telephone. Dislikes husband's hobbies, fishing, baseball, etc. Slows up card games with gossip or chatter. So, those are some activities that got demerits in Dr. Crane's test. Here are some activities where the wife gets points. Number one, having meals on time. Dressing for breakfast. Asks husband's opinion regarding important decisions and purchases. Laughs at husband's jokes and his clowning. Folks, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger here. Likes educational and cultural things. Has spunk. Praises husband in public. Often comments on husband's strength and masculinity. I like that one. Now, what about the test for husbands? Well, I might not have done as much research as I should have, but the rating scale chart I found for husbands was a lot shorter than the one for wives. Hmm. He, the husband, gets the merits for staring or flirting with other women when out with his wife. Leaves dresser drawer open. I've been dinged on that. Compares wife unfavorably with previous wives or his mother. Publicly praises bachelor, his bachelor days and regrets having married. Snores. The husband gets points now for remembering birthdays and anniversaries, having a date with his wife at least once per week. Good idea. Reads newspapers or books aloud to his wife. Gives wife ample allowances or turns over his paycheck to her. Steady worker and good provider. In the book of radio talks I spoke of earlier, Dr. Crane covers some very practical and certainly interesting topics, applied psychology here, such as how to use compliments to get ahead, how to carry on a conversation, managing money, tooting the other fellow's horn. Boy, that sure sounds a lot like Dale Carnegie. Picking a mate by head and not by heart. Even a talk on how to stop smoking and raising foster children. If you are a little turned off by Dr. Crane's ideas and suggestions about relationships between men and women, and I get that in today's world, his practical suggestions about positive connecting with other people are as relevant today as ever. 
You can see from his writings and broadcasts that George Crane cared about people and wanted their lives to be filled with love and success. There's nothing old-fashioned about that. It's too bad we don't have someone like him around these days to help the lovelorn and the rest of us, I guess, in an in-depth way. I want to end today's podcast by reading uh, one of Dr. Crane's talks from his 1948 collection. I think you'll like it. It's called The Origins of the Compliment Club. Origin of the Compliment Club. Almost a quarter of a century ago, I began my first teaching at Northwestern University. Among my various courses was a large class in social psychology on the downtown campus in Chicago. It met at night. These evening students were employed during the day in Chicago department stores, offices, or factories. They were usually somewhat older than the usual college man or woman on the daytime campus. In my night classes, for instance, I suppose the men and women averaged about 25 years of age. Following one of my lectures, a girl named Lois asked if she could have a conference with me. I agreed, so Lois followed me across the hall into my faculty office. This seems like a trivial matter, Dr. Crane, Lois began, but I am so lonely. I could almost end my life right now, and she started to cry. I come from a little town in Wisconsin where I took a civil service exam. My marks were very high, and as there was an immediate opening in Chicago, I was sent here. But I don't know anybody except for a few girls at the office. At night, I go to my room and write letters home. The only thing that keeps me living from day to day is the hope of receiving a letter from my friends in Wisconsin. Millions of people surround me in this great city, but I feel as desolate as if I were Robinson Crusoe. One of the chief reasons I enrolled in your course here at the downtown campus was my desire to meet some congenial people and make friends. But everybody in the class seems to be so poised and self-assured while I am so shy and lonely. They don't engage me in conversation. I'm afraid to push myself forward. Oh, if I only were as nonchalant and sophisticated as that Miss Miller who sits across the aisle from me. She'd ceased dabbling her eyes with her icy, lacy handkerchief, so I broke in at this point. I'm so glad you mentioned the poise and self-assurance of Miss Miller, I began, for Miss Miller came in here just two weeks ago and began to cry too, for she was so lonely and devoid of friends. Actually, she felt just the way you have described yourself, and most lonely folks are in the same boat with you. But out in public, you all put up a front, so to speak, and act indifferent or snobbish, even when your heart is almost breaking with loneliness. Miss Miller, oddly enough, had mentioned how aloof and distant you seemed. So she said she had been afraid to start a conversation with you. She's from a small town in Indiana and imagined that you were a sophisticated Chicago girl, bred and born here in the great metropolis. Why, well, I'm just the opposite, Dr. Crane, Lois protested in disbelief. I am anything but self-assured. Something must be done to remedy the matter, I admitted. Psychology would be a farce if I let you students sit there in loneliness and unhappiness while we dealt with social psychology and theory. We must bring psychology down out of the clouds and put it to use. Just give me a week to think about this and I'll guarantee you a solution.
Lois thanked me profusely. She felt better, of course, just to get her trouble out in the open for sharing worries divides their weight. This is why confession of a problem is almost half the cure. The following week, when our class in social psychology convened, I made the following announcement. In order to keep this class from being a theoretical discussion, I am going to assign you students various outside problems. You're going to use your psychology every day, either at home or at work or on the streetcars and buses. For the first month, your written assignment will be called the Compliment Club. Every day, you're to pay an honest compliment to each of three different persons. You could increase that number if you wish, but to qualify for a class grade, you must have com com complimented at least three people every day for 30 days. Keep a record of those to whom you pay your three compliments. You need not give me their names, but list them as newsboy or streetcar conductor or sales clerk. And observe what they say in response to your compliment, for most people encounter praise so seldom. Emily Post hasn't even told us how to receive compliments. Some will blush prettily and murmur to gur or gurgle. Others will quickly try to repay you by saying your hat or tie looks attractive too. Another person will laugh and tell you he knows you're just looking for a quarter. Keep an accurate record of how many people acknowledge your compliments. Then. At the end of the 30-day experiment, I want you to write a theme paper on your experiences. Include the changes you've noted in the people around you, as well as your own altered outlook on life. This will be a month's assignment and will carry college credit. The students laugh self-consciously, but they seem to relish this new kind of assignment. Are we, are we to limit our compliments to people in our own family or immediate associates at the office, Miss Miller inquired? No, I replied. I'd rather you distributed your compliments over a wide range of people and include casual acquaintances or even strangers, for they will not resent a word of praise, even if they haven't been formally presented after the fashion of Emily Post. But I would be scared to address a stranger, Miss Miller confessed. Besides, I might not know what to say. Grit your teeth and force yourself to pay the compliment, I answered. Every beginning salesman is also frightened at ringing a doorbell, but he must compel himself to go through with his job or he'll never be successful. You students might think over a list of prospects whom you expect to meet tomorrow. Each night, sit down and plan the three people you hope to compliment the next day. You can analyze them in your mind and pick out the virtue or talent on which you expect to pay them an honest compliment. Rehearse it before a mirror, if you're shy or tongue-tied, so that it can be uttered casually. Suppose you meet somebody you dislike, one of the men asked. Would it be insincere to praise your enemy? That's an excellent question, I replied. No, it is not insincere when you compliment your enemy for a compliment is an honest statement of praise for some objective trait or merit that deserves commendation. You will find that nobody is entirely devoid of merit or virtue, so try to take a detached view and analyze your companion for merits. But won't some people discount our com compliments, Lois objected? I'm afraid my compliments will be so apparent and obvious they will not believe me. The recipient of a compliment always enjoys it, I replied even if he discounts it considerably. 
Remember, too, that it's far better to give people verbal bouquets while they are alive, for your praise may buoy up the morale of lonely souls who are almost ready to give up the struggle to do good deeds. You never know when your casual compliment might catch a boy or a girl or a man at the critical point when he otherwise would toss in the sponge. So you will really be putting the golden rule into action. Well, the experiment turned into the turned the class into a jolly, friendly crowd. Once per week, I would let a few students volunteer comments on their most interesting experience in the complimenting people. At the end of the month, they wrote their reports and handed in their tally sheets. Lois was typical of the rest in her report. She remarked that she had lost her lonely feeling and furthermore didn't dredge meeting strangers. I was always shy and tongue-tied until I began this compliment club experiment, she said but it taught me to forget myself in trying to ferret out the good things in people around me. I became a social detective, and people almost invariably smiled when I paid them a compliment. They were more friendly to me afterwards and often went out of their way to be kinder. But the greatest improvement is in myself. I found that I can be happy in any social group. No longer do I shyly wait for other folks to talk to me. I've learned to initiate the conversation. Other folks are also shy, so somebody must start the conversation. I look forward to meeting people so I can quickly analyze them for good points. Maybe they have a new hat or a new frock or beautiful teeth or a lovely complexion or artistic fingers or a melodious voice or a deft way of handling children. Or they are good cooks or have a beautiful home or an artistic color scheme in their interior decorating. This compliment club has removed my terror and loneliness and gave me new zest. It has altered my entire outlook on life. Lois wasn't exaggerating either. After this experiment, she would hardly be inside the classroom till she and a half dozen other students would be conversing gaily. Before she finished the semester, she was engaged to one of the men who sat two rows behind her. And what happened to Lois can happen to most of us, regardless of our shyness or loneliness. Friendship is a flower, but to obtain a lovely flower, somebody must do the initial work of planting the seed, watering, and cultivating it. Neither friendships nor flowers miraculously burst into full bloom in an instant of time. So plant your three daily compliments, and you will be delightfully astonished within 30 days' time by the friendships that will flower in your social environment. And here's the thought for today. Benjamin Franklin made a very wise observation when he said, as we must account for every idle word, so we must account for every idle silence. Too many of us go through life tongue-tied and quiet when we should be paying honest compliment to our mates, our children, our companions, and even our enemies. For every person who talks too much, probably there are nine of us who talk too little, at least as regards honest praise. Give your family or group of friends, get them to launch upon a compliment club experiment, for it can give you renewed zest for living. It will drive the clouds away and change worried frowns into cordial smile. Thank you, Dr. Crane. Hey, just a quick note. Um, my book, uh, based on this uh, podcast, Here Comes Yesterday, is now available for purchase on Amazon. 
uh, it's $9.95, pretty cheap, and you get 30 of uh, the original episodes of this podcast. It might be fun to read or to give to somebody who likes to uh, read, but maybe not listen to podcasts. Uh, here comes yesterday, Amazon. Thanks a lot for listening.